0: Well, Faith Bridge, it's so great to be back with you again. Let me just say this. Uh, I don't know if there's any runners that are watching uh, right now, but if you're a runner and you want to knock some time off of your splits or your route, then all you need to do is to focus on looking up when you run. That's an instant way to shave some time off of your running. Our tendency is to look at the ground when we run, But what you want to do is you want to lift up your gaze and run where you're headed. Put your eyes on where you're headed. I remember when I was in high school and I was running tracking cross country, where I looked while I was running determined whether I was running with intentionality or passivity. And ultimately, if I ran with my gaze at the ground, I didn't stop running, but I absolutely stopped racing. And so one of the best things that you can do is lift your gaze. So when I was running cross country and track, I would begin to look up at where I was going. And especially when the finish line came into view, no matter how far it was still away, I began to run with greater purpose, greater intentionality, because I began to run with the end in mind. I began to picture what awaited me at the finish line, uh, specifically that I could stop running and potentially go to an all-you-can-eat pizza buffet because I just run 3.1 miles. But the goal is if you want to run well, if you want to run with intentionality, then the best thing that you can do is run with the end in mind. And the reason that I tell you that is because this morning we're going to step into Revelation chapter 7. So we're looking at the end of the Bible. And as we look into Revelation chapter 7, John is going to have a vision of the end. He's going to have a vision of heaven, really heaven on earth. And it will inform how we live. And so the goal of this talk is that we would be people who run with the end in mind. And it has Everything to do with missions, it has everything to do with how we live intentionally with the nations in mind. And what God is going to do is he's going to sync our hearts up with his heart, and we're going to begin to be people who run with the end in mind. So if you have a Bible, turn with me this morning to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 is where we are going to be. And as we just focus on running with the end in mind, living lives with a lot of purpose and intentionality, especially when it comes to God's heart for those who have never heard the gospel before and those who have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Here is what we're going to see as we look at the end of the Bible, as we look at Revelation chapter 7, and John has a vision of really heaven on earth. What we're going to see is we're going to see two things. So here's how this talk is going to go. Uh, I'm going to give you two statements, and then I'm going to break those two statements into two statements. Okay, so here's what we're going to see. Here's the two statements. The first one is this, heaven will be filled with the nations because Jesus has secured salvation for the nations. The second statement is this, God has eternal plans for the nations, therefore our Earthly plans must involve discipling the nations. So we've got two statements, and we're going to break those two statements into two statements and unpack them. So look with me. The first statement that we're unpacking is this. Heaven will be filled with the nations because Jesus has secured salvation for the nations. So let's, let's start with the reality that heaven will be filled with the nations. Look with me in Revelation chapter 7. Again, John is having a vision Here's what he says in verse 9 of Revelation 7. He says this, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples in languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So John has a vision of the throne room of God. And what does he see? He sees a multitude that cannot be counted. And this multitude is comprised of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Now, when we talk about God's heart for the nations, we need to be clear. We're not just talking about the roughly 200 countries that the United Nations uh, recognizes. We are talking about every people group, And people estimate that there are somewhere between 11,000 and 24,000 different people groups in our world. And what John has is a vision of a multitude that cannot be counted. So just imagine this. I mean, we can absolutely count the largest crowds that have ever been at a Houston Texans football game. I know exactly how many people were at the largest gathering here in Aggieland at Kyle Field. We even have an estimate of the largest gathering in the world in history, which was roughly 120 million people. But John is having a vision of a multitude of people that you can't even begin to estimate in heaven. And this crowd is comprised of people from every tribe, every people group, every nation, every language in the world. Here's what that means. Heaven will be filled with the nations. And so I think it's just good for us to understand that what this means is that God isn't partial to America. Now, some of you guys just got offended by what I'm saying. Uh, Let me be clear on what I mean when I say that God isn't partial to America. What I mean is that our tendency is to is to be nearsighted. And when we think of heaven, our, our vision is of a bunch of white people singing Hillsong United songs. If that's our understanding, our hearts are out of alignment with God's heart. Because when we picture heaven, often we want to believe that it's just like what we see at church. That's it's predominantly white, and it's all in English. So anyone in heaven that's from a, a different nation, speaks a different language, and they're going to be wearing those museum headphones where the service is being translated from English into their language so that they can grasp what's going on. But if Revelation 7 is accurate, then heaven will be filled with the nations. God isn't partial to our nation. He is passionate about all nations, Let me just give you a few statistics that just really indicate what I'm talking about. Statistics show that God is moving more aggressively among the nations than in the midst of our nation right now. Isn't that interesting? That God is moving more aggressively in other nations than he is in our nation. True Christianity has grown by more than 300 million believers In the past 10 years, about 10 million of those new Christians are from North America and Europe. The other 290 million are from developing countries. Isn't that interesting? Or what about this? The Houston Chronicle. Recently, just a couple months ago, the Houston Chronicle estimated that by 2030, there will be more Christians in China, which is a country where the gospel of Jesus Christ is not welcome. There will be more Christians in China than in the United States. In the next 10 years, Africa will likely grow to have the most Christians of any continent, about 700 million Christians. This is why I tell you, heaven will be filled with the nations. And so one of the best things we can do is just sink our heart up with God's heart, that God cares about those who are outside of Spring, Texas. He cares about those who are outside of Houston and outside of the United States. So it is good for us to lift up our gaze and live with the end in mind, because if we live with the end in mind, we are going to begin to have compassionate hearts towards other nations, and we will long for them to know gospel. So we, we started by saying heaven will be filled with the nations. Let's finish our first statement. Heaven will be filled with the nations. Why? Because Jesus has secured salvation for the nations. What does John say? What does it say in verse 10? He sees this great multitude. And what are they doing? It says in verse 10, they are crying out, With a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So you have people from every people group, all nations, and what are they doing? They are crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That phrase, the Lamb, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb over 20 times in the book of Revelation. I want to show you something interesting. I want to show you how Jesus secured salvation for all nations. Flip back two chapters to Revelation chapter five, where John has a different vision of the throne room of God. And here's what it says. Follow with me because this, is a, this can be an intimidating text, but it is a beautiful text. scroll or to look into it. So this is an interesting vision, but I want to make sure you understand what's going on. Uh, John has a vision where he sees God seated on his throne, and he is holding a scroll with writing on the front and the back, and there are seven seals on this scroll. What is in that scroll? Well, uh, to sum it up, in that scroll is all of redemptive history written on that scroll. So it tells us how things end for both Christians and non-Christians. It tells us who in the end wins. It explains how God saves us. And the thought is, if, if no one can open the seals of the scroll, then the human race is doomed to destruction. And so God sees, uh, John sees God seated on the throne with the scroll, and an angel is crying out, Who is worthy? to to break the seals and open the scroll. And and it says that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to open the scroll. And it causes John a lot of distress. No one is able to carry out the plan, God's plan of redemption. Now look at what verse five says, because this is awesome. Verse five. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So the angel looks at John and he's like, hey, hey, John, weep no more because there is one who is worthy to carry out God's plan of redemption. There is one who in whom we have victory. And it says that Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What has he done? He has conquered. He has conquered. This was the prerequisite for opening the scroll. In Jesus Christ, who was and is the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has conquered. What has he conquered? When he went to the cross, he conquered Satan, sin, and death. And so the angel says, John, do not weep, because Jesus Christ, he has conquered. He has conquered sin. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. Now, watch this, because John gets a vision now of how Jesus conquered these things verse six. It says, in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so just, just picture this. I know that this is a, this can be a confusing passage, but just think, John has just found out that the line of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He is worthy to open the scrolls, which which means that he is is worthy to carry out God's plan of redemption. And John turns expecting to see a line. And what does he see? He sees a lamb that has been slain. And that lamb is standing. And so this is... A reference to Jesus. Both the lion and the lamb, those are both references to Jesus. This is showing how Jesus conquered Satan's sin in death. The the imagery of Jesus being a lamb, it goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. You you remember the idea of the Passover lamb where, where the nation of Israel, they slaughtered lambs, they took the blood, they put it on the doorposts of their heart, and the angel of death passed over their homes when it swept through Egypt before Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. Well, John the Baptist sees Jesus in the book of John, and what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. How did Jesus take away our sins? By becoming the Lamb who was slain. And so this is very interesting because John is calling us to see Jesus as the lion-like lamb and the lamb-like lion. How did Jesus conquer? He conquered not by a sword, but by sacrifice. This is is the great paradox. One commentator explains the almighty king overcame all of his enemies as his enemies seemingly overcame him. Jesus, when John sees him as a lamb slaughtered, that lamb is standing instead of laying dead on the floor. Why? Because Jesus was slaughtered. His body and blood were broken and shed on the cross. He was put in a tomb, but on the third day he walked out of it victoriously. And so the lamb stands. And so Jesus is the lion-like lamb. He's a lamb. He's a lion because he is royal, ruling, powerful, and strong, but he's also a lamb, quiet, submissive, humble, and slain. John Piper beautifully explains it this way. He says, he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday like a king on the way to a throne, and he went out of Jerusalem on Good Friday like a lamb on the way to the slaughter. He drove out the robbers from the temple like a lion devouring its prey, and then at the end of the week he gave his majestic neck to the knife, and they slaughtered the Lamb of Judah like a lamb, so he conquered sin and death and Satan, not just because he was a lion, but because he was a lion like lamb. And watch what verse seven in chapter five goes on to say. And he went. This is Jesus, the lion like lamb and the lamb like lion. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Listen to the song that they sing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. Why is Jesus worthy? Because he was slain. And by your blood, what has he done? He has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Do you see it? Heaven will be filled with the nations. Why? Because Jesus has secured salvation for the nations. That's our first statement. Our second statement is this. God has eternal plans for the nations. Therefore, our earthly plans must involve discipling the nations. So let's just break that down real quick. We've established heaven will be filled with the nations because Jesus has secured salvation for the nations. Now we're going to talk about the fact that God has eternal plans for the nations. Flip back to Revelation chapter 7. And listen to what it says. It goes on in verse 11. And it says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God is worthy of, of worship. Now watch this. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? Clothed in white robes. And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know... So let's just stop there. I love this because an angel asks John, who are all these people? Who are these people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? And I love John's re- response. He just says, hey, you know. Like I, I could try and answer you, but, but you know better than I do. So any, this is a good rule to live by. Anytime an angel asks you a question, your response is simply, hey, you know. And he said, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So he's saying all these people from every tribe, tongue, people in the nation, they are the people who have come out of the great tribulation. You might hear that and think it's talking about the seven year great tribulation uh, That might be the case, but other commentators believe that the great tribulation period is the period between Jesus' first and second coming. That's the way that I lean, which means that this is talking about everyone from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, here's what I want you to think about before I read the rest of the text. So many of the people in the world who have yet to hear the gospel live in what is called the 1040 window. Those are coordinates on a map, okay? And so you're talking about billions of people who have still never heard the gospel, heard about Jesus. And so many of these people in the unreached world are under the oppression of a religion that makes eternal life contingent upon performance. That's the first thing I need you to remember. The second thing that I need you to remember is the countries and regions that are unreached by the gospel are also home to the poorest of the poor in the world. Now listen to God's eternal plans for the nations. It says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Do you know what that means? It means that there are people right now who are, the, uh, who are being oppressed by a religion that makes salvation all about performance. And they're going to come to the beautiful knowledge that it's not about what they can do for God. It's about what God has done for them. And they will stand clean before God because of Christ's sacrifice. eyes. This is beautiful because here's what it means. Those whose countries have been torn apart by war will be at peace. Those who were trafficked will run free. Those who have lived on the brink of starvation will be full. Those who haven't had access to clean drinking water will thirst no more. Why? Because God has eternal plans for the nation's Now, if God has eternal plans for the nations, because he does, what's our response? Our earthly plans, therefore, must involve discipling the nations. They must. Our earthly plans must involve discipling the nations. What does Jesus tell us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is inviting us in. He's saying heaven will be filled with the nations because I've secured salvation for the nations. I have eternal plans for the nations. Therefore, align your earthly plans with my eternal purposes. Disciple the nations. My fear for so many of us is that we'll spend our lives building sandcastles. You think about going to the beach and you find your plot of sand and maybe you find some little kid's toys and man, you just make a commitment. You're like, you know what? I- I'm going to give the rest of my day to building sandcastle. And so you begin to build your sandcastle. You get really protective of it. Some people come along and they're playing with the ball and you get protective. You're like, hey, there's plenty of sand. Like, let's keep a safe distance from what I'm doing here. And I mean, you work all day investing into that sandcastle. What happens when you leave? Man, that tide comes, washes your castle away, and a whole nother group of people move on to the same plot of sand and begin building their castle. So many of us are going to spend our lives leveraging our lives for things that are temporary. We're going to make our existence about material blessings and rewards now. And when we die, man, everything that we've worked for is just going to be washed out by the tide of life. What Jesus is doing is he's, he's inviting us in to make our lives about what matters most. He's inviting us to leverage our lives for the sake of those who have never heard the gospel. And we can sit there and say, well, I don't feel called to reach the nations. I just feel called to reach people in the year, here in the U.S. Or why would I focus on those who have never heard the gospel Uh, abroad when there are people right next door who've never heard the gospel. I get that. And we should spend our energies so that those here in the community can know Jesus. But you have to understand God's heart beats for the nations. And if his heart beats for the nations, so should ours. So let me just encourage you to do three things. Number one, seek out opportunities to reach the unreached. Seek out opportunities to go to the nations. That's a hard thing to do right now amidst a pandemic. But that doesn't mean that you just sit and wait. You know what? Faith Bridge is doing an incredible job of reaching the community. Now jump in and you know what? I promise you, as you seek to reach the community, you're going to reach the nations by reaching the community because I promise you, There are people from other nations who have family in other nations where the gospel has not gone. But when this pandemic lifts and and we're able to travel, you know what one of the best things you can do for your kids is to take them abroad to, to, to see those who have never heard the gospel. Seek out opportunities to go to the nations. Number two, pray regularly and fervently for the nations. One thing that my family, we started doing, there's an app you can download called Unreached of the Day. And so every day we open up the app. It takes about a minute. You read up on an unreached group in the world and you pray for them. Pray fervently for the nations. And then number three, give generously and sacrificially to those reaching the nations. We want to be people who run and live with the end in mind. John Piper puts it this way. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. It is for our joy to recognize heaven will be filled with the nations because Jesus has set, secured salvation for the nations. God has eternal plans for the nations. Therefore our earthly plans must involve discipling the nations. Would you take a step? Let's pray together. And maybe you're sitting there right now and you're You're realizing that I'm calling you to give your life to spreading a message that you yourself have never done business with. And so maybe you're realizing right now that Jesus Christ went to the cross, his body was broken, his blood was shed for you. That he is the lion of the tribe of Judah who conquered Satan's sin and death, but he did it by being the lamb that was slain. That his body was broken, his blood was shed for you. If you don't know Jesus, now's a moment for you to just invite him in. You can simply say, Jesus Christ, would you come into my life? Thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose from the death for me. Rose from the dead. Would you come into my life? Would you be my savior? And would you lead me in a new life? And for everyone else watching, would you just allow your heart to sync up with God's heart? And would you just begin to ask him, God, what does it look like for me to be all about your purposes? I wanna spend my life helping those who have never heard know you, Lord Jesus. God, would you use us for your glory? We want to be used by you. We thank you for all you've done for us. Use us in a great way, in Jesus' name. Amen.